welcome to this week's SNL recap. Before we get started, I want to talk a little bit of cold open. I want to give a shout out to the team at uh, Saturday Night Live, a different team, the digital team, who's been doing their YouTube channel. Part of uh, the YouTube channel for SNL has been uh, a series that they've been doing called Creating Saturday Night Live. Just really, really good stuff. And uh, and I highly encourage you checking it out. They have been doing a bunch of stuff. They just recently did one on the control room, which was super fun. Uh, and they uh, and really good to see the one that I keep going back to, though, that I wanted to bring up is is about the music department and the music of SNL. And it's just a wonderful between the opening and musical guests and creating music for the show and songs and all this stuff. But I, I keep going back to it because the last 45 seconds of that YouTube video is the one of the musical directors, Leon, who's been playing the piano for 37 seasons of SNL. He starts to play the the end music, which is nerds like us know as Waltz and A. And I've said this on the podcast before, but it's been a long time. That music, the the closing theme to Saturday Night Live, it's like it, it. I feel like the Manchurian Candidate. It does something to me, like it was wired into my DNA before I was born. It was written uh, by Howard Shore for season one, forty three years ago. It's one of the few pieces of music that's never changed in the entire run of the show, and I just hear it, and it's just it. It makes me feel like I'm part of the community. It makes me feel like I'm part of the live show. It makes me feel like I'm at Rockefeller Center in Studio 8H. It calms me. It just makes me feel better. I've heard it in other areas and it's just such a wonderful thing. And I just, just the power of this show and the power of being a fan. I've been watching every episode since 1986 and certainly started watching even before that when I was a kid when I barely knew what it was. And the fact that I still have that music in me, I thought, boy, you know, please let everyone in my life know that when it's time for me to go, when I'm, when old man Tackenberg is finally still kicking if you could get waltz and i played with me as i'm going out what a way to end my life to just hear that music as 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 the as i'm being unplugged as i'm fading from consciousness and i won't feel like i'm i'm leaving this world i'll feel like i'm just saying good night and what a what a wonderful way it'll be and and if i can be wearing an alexander mcqueen dress at the time that would be good too and that's what we're going to talk about tonight this episode of Saturday Night live i'm your host rich Tackenberg, and as always my co-host mr mike bloom hi mike so does that mean i have to do like the post-show recap of the good nights that happen at your wake if you do indeed play waltz and a to finish you <laughs> off that would if there could be a post-show recap of my wake that would be the greatest thing ever that in heaven or hell would make me so so happy to know that unless unless you were like a mm, oh boy now if that was if that was your review of my wake that would be rough oh that was a big uh, it was more fun than funny uh we surely have reached a new level on the podcast considering if we're doing our own meta humor about how to take on somebody a very admittedly a very morbid topic but i mean that's uh that's snl as well right this week taking on several uh more serious dark morbid topics but as usual putting their weekly spin on it as well yeah, let's jump into it. This was a fun SNL. We uh, Tiffany Haddish, uh, as we talked about last week, uh, is f- female stand-up comic from the Carmichael Show, uh, from uh, Girls Trip, a couple other uh, really good shows is is here to host. And uh, but we start out being topical. We're taking the week off from uh, Donald Trump, and instead we're going to open with uh, with Mike Pence uh, talking to Senator Senate Senate candidate Roy Moore about what's been going on. Uh, uh, which I thought was a really nice kind of fun, sort of uh, very straightforward open. And then uh, our favorite new political character, Jeff Sessions, shows up and the whole piece takes a very odd turn. 
Yeah, I mean, what I will say, first and foremost, good start <laughs> to this idea. Yep. I mean, I've, I've sort of uh, passed down this word. I know uh, writers at Uproxx and other, other venues have also sort of talked about this idea. Of we don't necessarily need Alec Baldwin as Trump in every week or even every other week. Was this the strongest sketch? No, but as you said, I do like that it focuses on Mike Pence, that it does focus on Jeff Sessions, the now apparent half-possum. That's really the avenue that they're going down, which is so weird, but okay, if you want to go with specificity, that really is the key in comedy. Again, this was not the the most well-written or most nouveau uh, sketch. It does feel like you know they were sort of going for some jokes, some gut punches that I've heard over the course of the week. I think we're going back to this idea of clapter, uh, where it's not necessarily funny, but it gets a rise out of you. I felt that a couple of lines in this uh, particular sketch, you know, when, can't you call the boss? Oh, no, I'm not going to call Vladimir Putin. Like, that's not necessarily a funny line, but I think it definitely got, like, a response out of the audience. So, you know, I can't challenge it too much. But if oh, this I, is- I got to say, though, I, I thought there was a lot of fun. And maybe maybe I liked it more than you. I liked when he talked about, you know, that, you know, you dress like Woody from Toy Story. Uh, you know, I thought a lot of that stuff was was really fun. I, I thought they were good. He uh, back messed up one funny joke. Yeah. When he talks about how he's not allowed to watch TV. He can only listen. Uh, so I would say I like this a lot. What did you I, I what did you think of the Jeff Sessions piece of this? I thought the Jeff Sessions piece from an energy perspective definitely made it hit another level. And I feel like if there are going to be a couple of themes to this episode overall, first, I will say that I did really enjoy it. Going back to my rankings, this is definitively number two below Kumail Nanjiani. Now, was this necessarily a home run of an episode? No, but I would say this was probably like a solid double. And considering how this season so far has not done so well with its at-bats, I don't know if I lost you in the baseball metaphor there, Rich. Uh, I feel like, you know, it still does a great job in comparison. But I would say if there were two themes to this episode for me, one of them was high energy. The other one was kind of awkward timing. We're going to talk about this with a lot of sketches over the course of the night, but this that Beck might be the, the first sort of indication of it where he sort of flubs up a line and things kind of tread out awkwardly. But once Jeff Sessions literally rolls out of a credenza, uh, I feel like the energy, the audience's energy definitely picked up a little bit. Uh, and it, it, this characterization, again, is so strange, but I, I like how specific it's getting. Uh, I, I do agree that I think there were some fun more lines in there. I liked, you know, Roy Moore saying, oh, just kidding. And, you know, kidding is what we refer to in Alabama when we date young ladies. Uh, I, I do think that there were some fun gems in there. But once Sessions came out, then it's sort of like elevated to another level in terms of the humor. And you can tell that's because I think they have a much more honed in approach on their Sessions character at this point than they do on their Pence character. Yeah, I thought that again, I love that. I mean, this is the kind of the way that they did this sketch with once we get into the sessions piece of it. I mean, it starts off with some very just sort of classic, funny, you know, easy lines about like how he, you know, he's talking about this guy waving the gun around and Muslims in 9-11. He's like, I love it. You check a lot of boxes for me. And then it gets a little bit weirder. And I love when he's saying I'm Alabama, but you, sir, are too Alabama. And then we go to the pieces you mentioned with the stuffed possum where this is a 10 to 1. 
one sketch in the cold open. This is as weird as weird used to get back in like when Franken and Davis were writing political humor about, you know, about Kissinger and Nixon. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I thought it was just so fun and creepy and weird. And the and the and the confidence that Kate McKinnon has to just go into this. Uh, By the way, one of my favorite lines got zero laughs when she kicks Roy Moore uh, out of the room. He says, leave me to my gerrymandering. I just thought that was such a wonderful line. So I, I love where we're going with this, that we're playing this this strong, hard Jeff Sessions character. Uh, I'd love to see them do that with even more with Pence. Uh, I think even uh, the Roy Moore character, Mikey Day, did a good job here. I feel like we could do that more. Let's take these characters more extreme because it's just so fun. So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a really good cold open, really fun start to the show. Well, speaking of more extreme, or at least extreme amounts of energy, let's talk about Tiffany Haddish's monologue. Uh, third stand-up monologue in a row. I think, you know, we both really liked Kamel Nanjiani's. I don't think either one of us were a huge fan of Larry David's last week, something that will actually be amused um, upon in another sketch later on in this episode. How do you think Tiffany Haddish did in this monologue? I thought it was a very solid uh, uh, first at bat for a stand-up comic. In oh, the there's your baseball metaphor. Weekend update. There you go. I bring it back. I would say not as strong as Kamal in polish. Not because she's not a polished comedian, because it's this a little bit of an awkward. You're now taking a lot of different pieces of uh, a material and really cutting them down and really not having a chance to sort of ramp up and get and really get ahead of steam going on any one topic um, but her energy really carried her through and I thought all the pieces were really funny I thought she did a lot of a lot of fun you know the whole thing about her money that she googled herself and she was worth two million dollars and she was just like what do I have to do to get that two million dollars and that run I thought was really funny the foster care I thought was good um, she had a great line about sexual assault and then and then she ended strong so I thought uh, you know again it was not going to be as polished as a good solid piece from a comedian who's done this a couple of times and understands the rhythms. They understand that sometimes you're going to get big reactions from the audience. Sometimes you're not going to get a big reaction from the studio audience, but that doesn't mean you're not doing well. I think it can be off-putting for someone who's used to have a mic, have an audience right in front of them, can hear the react the crowd reaction. So I, I thought she did well, and assuming that if she comes back again, I think she'll be so much stronger the second time with no, with no shot to her on this at all. I thought it was really fun. This might be a bit of a basic comparison, admittedly, but I was actually getting a lot of Kevin Hart his first time out when she was doing it in that. I mean, I recall when you and Rob were talking about Kevin Hart's first time where like, yeah, he was like very excitable, uh, very almost aggressive, looking directly down the barrel of the camera the entire time. And was the material necessarily the strongest? No, but you could just get this excitement about being there. I mean, Tiffany's going to talk about in her monologue about the fact that she grew up watching SNL to the point of where she had gotten stabbed twice in a bunk bed because uh, she was the only one to be able to tune SNL in over living color uh, with, and which is again, you know, I feel like SNL, especially in its 40s, has gotten like very meta and very uh, acknowledging of its history. It's very storied history. And that's a really fun chapter to look at as well. And back in the 90s when it was, you know, checking out in living color versus SNL, but that's a conversation for another time. But I thought there were some really fun pieces in here i think my favorite was this whole motif with the dress this idea of you know yep i i don't understand why people are criticizing me for wearing the same for wearing the same outfits in my photos like i paid so much money for this i'm gonna wear it all i want to then she says here you might see this dress in sketches two separate times we'll talk about it more rich i saw it during update did we see it 
any other times did we hit that limit of two? I did. I do not remember it another time. But like you, I thought if you're going to throw out that very funny line as a as a tag to your joke, like you may see this again, I better see it again. So we'll reference that later. But yeah, I agree. I thought what a wonderful either because she is still very real and practical and has not been affected by Hollywood or she's mastered the fantastic trick of still pretending to be one of the regular people. Either way, I thought what a great sort of call out on this craziness if you can't be seen in the same dress. I thought this was a really fun run uh getting to and then getting to your point about sort of that that first time out energy i definitely think that she potentially uh decided as a crutch to then like i'll dance at the end to just sort of end on high energy and in hindsight the quality of her material at the end and the delivery of her material she didn't need it she literally could have finished with being buried in that you know when she's fat and laying that dress on top of her and she just could have gone right to taylor swift is here we'll be right back she didn't need the dancing no, no knock on her of course but it but just a testament to how strong she was that uh that she didn't need the crutch of sort of ending with the music piece but uh, yeah, as, lo- as long as she didn't sing i'm sure it would be okay in your book <laughs> Yes, we're all good. We're all good. So we go to the first live sketch, uh, Tournament Fighter, sort of an esports uh, tournament. Uh, and this is a sketch that I kept waiting to hate. I was just like, okay, this is always this is one step away from me hating the sketch. And yet I just, I was giggling. My wife and I were giggling about uh, Tiffany's uh, fighter character, Boo Boo Jeffries. And, uh, and I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I thought for what this was, uh, uh, I thought it was really well done, uh, even if conceptually it's a hard sketch to do live and keep the timing live. I still thought this was really fun. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comparisons on the Internet to this and Kevin Roberts from last week's host, Larry David, his first time out, and also the infamous David Pumpkins with Tom Hanks. And they do follow kind of a very similar formula, but I feel like all three sketches work because they have these two constants. One is the performance of the host in this weird character role. In this case, I, you know, I'll agree that while it wasn't the funniest sketch, I'm happy that this started out right out of the gate because I think it showed that Tiffany was game, you know, pun yes. unintended there, for anything. To have to represent this video game character uh, that sort of just does not fit in with this setting, I think was really, really exciting. I think she really made it. But I think the other half of the equation that really worked as well is the straight man in this crazy man straight man relationship. And I feel like all three times in some way, shape or form, we've had Keenan there. And I mean, show in and show out Keenan shows why he's been on the show for as long as he has, because he sold this straight man role of just being so pissed off and confused at the concept of boo-boo jeffries that her biggest weakness is fighting and king says well that's the worst thing you could say in a fighting game <laughs> then ha- to have boo-boo jeffries go on about how she doesn't like to be in big groups and is that about her or has that happened lately and then i like how we actually got to the fighting as well i do agree that the timing was a little awkward trying to cut between you know the green screen of the video game characters with the people on the stage again that's going to be uh, one of many times when timing might be screwed up tonight but i liked actually getting to the fight actually not just talking about it actually seeing it where you have scorpionox throw a punch and boo boo jeffrey just says nope i'm good and then walked out i don't know if I, we necessarily needed the marked for death with the alex moffat cameo as mark i don't know if that necessarily was sort of like diminishing yeah. returns but overall really fun character 
Well, and I and I want to add to what you're saying is I'm going to add a third leg to the comedy stool beyond the host and beyond the straight man, which I think this sketch had more than a Dave Def's Pumpkins or even a Kevin Roberts, which is uh, a a authenticity to the thing that they're making fun of. I'm not a video game player myself, but I've seen a lot and reading on Twitter. I feel like a lot of people like this sketch felt authentic in like when they're like going through the game, like it it didn't feel like well I don't know what this is. It felt like okay this is clearly a tournament style fighting game with this one weird character and I think the authenticity of that brought a lot of fun to it so it was really fun stuff and also give a shout out to a nice little button to the sketch a lot of times it's just it's like how do you end these sketches and at one point uh, you know Amy uh, Amy played by Miss Livius and you're on the side says like hey she said she wasn't good in groups and at the end Keenan says what's your name again she's Amy shut up Amy uh, just a very fun little out so so good, good live sketch to get us started for 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 the the this show, and then we go to uh, the revolving door of of, of uh, impressions. We are going to do Lion King auditions, directed by Paul Bergante, and this is a long list of very very short impressions. I thought was interesting, as I feel like when SNL doesn't have strong impressions, they go to the pre tape so that they can edit together very very short one sentence half a sentence three words if they have to <laughs> so that they can sort of get by on look uh but within that i thought uh i thought in general some some fun ideas some fun impressions here yeah so talk me through uh some of your highlights i also agree by the way when you were talking about like all you need is a look i was thinking of uh danny devito as bb8 when they were doing the force awakens auditions that actually might be that or 50 shades of gray might be the most recent time they've done these screen tests yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, I I wanted to like Lin-Manuel Miranda better. I thought Cicely did a good job here. Um, I would say the uh, the LL Cool J as Pumbaa had some fun to it. John Oliver, Mikey Day's John Oliver, I thought was really fun. Although I would say just on pure impression, even though it was half an impression because she got paired with Chris Red's uh, Sterling K. Brown, I thought that uh, that the new uh, featured player Heidi Gardner's Kristen Schaal, I thought was tremendous i thought it was such a fun impression uh, and i want to see more of it uh and then also i'd say for me the celine dion melissa vias and your i was very surprised we only saw melissa in this one this is what melissa does she mm-hmm. does it well we've seen her do them before in the in the video game recording piece or i oh, know whatever i can't remember it was a recording session didn't see her more but i thought her celine dion was a fun way to to, to end this yeah i would agree that i think mikey day's john oliver is a really good one i liked heidi gardner's kristen Schaal. I mean, she even looks like Kristen Schaal just putting the Kristen Schaal wig on her. So to sort of yes. have that impression tied into it is good. I, I liked, I don't think it was a good impression, but I really liked 80 as James Corden. Just like the very excitable applause. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything really built upon it, but I just liked that. I don't even know if that it. was an impression. It was just like, I'm just standing here and looking and sort of uh, gesticulating like James Corden. But I agree. I, I would say for me though, for this, because all of the impressions were so short, nothing really had me laughing all the that hard it was mm-hmm. really just like we're just just throwing things against the wall to see what sticks here and we and i don't think i ever really like got a point of like oh that was really funny but that said the energy here was really good well so we had a live sketch we had a pre-tape let's get to something that apparently at least according to you know the way that people were doubled up seems like it played as a hybrid let's talk about this dnc yep. message 
So I would say for me, even though I think the end got a little muddy here and the timing was a little off, this was my favorite sketch of the night because Mm. uh, and it got a little complicated. But for me, the sheer cutting, biting, cruel attack on the DNC by simply showing the lack of charisma of the top members of the Democratic National Committee was so funny. Alex Moffat's Chuck Schumer may not be the be- the most accurate impression, but it just had me laughing so hard. And my wife and I, the, the Cecily's Diane Feinstein, her just lack of anything was really just kind of fun. Uh, I thought that in and of itself, and it, and it sort of morphed into something else, but in and of itself, just like like just showing sort of the this group of just from a from a charisma standpoint, the group of zeros was so brutal. It was just making me laugh so hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that I think in an age where SNL might be a little criticized for not necessarily playing up to their previously stated even handedness, uh, I was really happy for something like this. And again comedy comes from specificity and i like you said i love the specific point of view that this came from i think my favorite favorite line in the entire thing might have been chuck schumer's like we haven't felt this confidence since the day before trump won Uh, yeah and I, i would say for sort of comparing the people who were there in the studio versus we obviously have sudeikis as joe biden we have larry david i don't know if he was uh if they caught him back in the studio to do it or if he was already back in la at that point doing some bernie sanders stuff Uh, I thought those were fine, but I think it made for a little bit more awkward timing. I can't tell if that was the point, though, to have like these really awkward cut twos and cut outs, because, again, it could go with the theming of it. I don't think so. Okay, I know what you're saying, but it didn't feel like it to me. It just felt like the awkwardness of you don't have the same energy when somebody like Larry David is on a pre-tape as opposed to the rest of the room, or even Hillary Clinton pre-taped because obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, Kate McKinnon is doing Nancy Pelosi live in the in the room. I, I just I think you're right. I don't think you get that same moment there, and so I think you lose a little bit of the energy. And I and I uh, and I will say as well that uh, I. I did like the Hillary cameo. I think that the audience uh, was a little tepid at first. I don't know if it was sort of like a, as weird as it is to say, like a too soon type of thing. But I feel like they grew on her once again. Kate brought back those Hillary affectations of like, please just give me another chance and another one after that. And then you cut back to like the Mr. Snrub, quote unquote, not Hillary saying like, oh, yeah, we should. uh, I think we should bring back Hillary. Like, I feel like if they did that a couple more times, that could have been another like sub game to go off of. And then you have Donna Brazil (laughs) cut to her being like, I thought she was dead. Uh, So I think there were some fun people to play with. But I think it was just the hybrid moments of everything that kind of threw things off in general. Yeah, and for me, I thought it got a little muddy. Once you bring, like, I thought to me, the simplicity of this piece was like, look at, like, boy, they need new, they need somebody charismatic in this, in the, in the DNC, or they're screwed. I felt like that was sort of the point of it, and it delivered so well. Once you brought Hillary back, it got a little bit of a, a little bit muddy there, as far as okay, then wait, what is the point of this sketch? It was still some fun stuff, um, but I, I will say, and, and even with the Bernie Sanders, it was a little bit then more muddy. But I love at one point when they're saying that, you know, once Bernie transfers over his millennial voters to the new people and he's like and Bernie saying, no, nope, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. Pass. <laughs> I thought that was a really fun point. So uh, so a little bit a little bit for me lost there, even in the premise. But overall, 
really fun. Uh, and, and I will say to you, I, to me, the take on these characters is in a way meaner than Jeff Sessions because yeah. Jeff Sessions is just such a broad character. It's just, it, it's almost meaningless. It's like we took this thing and we concocted something else. This is like, no, you guys have zero charisma. Like you guys are not good TV. You are yeah. not, you are not. I thought that was in a way, more, you know, now maybe someone with different political leanings might tell me I'm wrong, but I definitely, I thought so. So we get a second pre-tape before weekend update and very unusual. And early, you know, we get uh, another uh, installment of, of this sort of, uh, I don't even know what we call this, the Kyle and Leslie uh, sort of soap opera behind the scenes of SNL. Um, rare to see one of these appear before weekend update. Mm-hmm. My guess is that they, they did this in the dress late in the show and they're just like, it's so good. Let's move it up to before weekend update because this was just, I don't know what this is. The fact that we're going to an SNL masquerade ball is so insane and so bizarre. Um, but I just, I loved the pacing. Dave McCary directed it, the the tone, how it starts very realistic and it just gets more and more bizarre until ultimately Beck is dressed as a woman and and Kyle thinks that it's it's Leslie Jones. Uh, just just a lot of fun here. Yeah, I mean, I, I am enjoying the fact that this is technically like a recurring sketch, but it's almost new yeah. every time and that is sort of continuing the narrative. And these aren't necessarily the funniest, but they're so well done. I'll keep beating the drum that I feel like, especially with Vanessa Bayer now gone, Beck Bennett is by far the best actor in these pre-tapes. And he really sells it because, you know, we've had, what, two or three installments of this Kyle and Leslie stuff, and we haven't heard too much from Beck. So it's cool to sort of see his side. As a Good Neighbor fan, I also liked seeing some of the old school footage of the stuff that they used to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I feel like this really didn't hit the weird funny levels until we got to this nonsensical masquerade ball i know that you pointed out uh beck dressing up as Le- quote-unquote leslie i also liked colin dressing up as kyle where leslie's dancing with him and saying oh you're getting so strong kyle and colin just says yep well i'm kyle uh and then it yes. ends this like really fun bit where almost like it's akin to that scene from airplane where first Kyle's beating up Colin, then Beck starts beating him up. Then Tiffany comes in to start beating him up. And then Lorne does his like requisite cameo once every few months and comes in to keep beating him up. It was, it was a very fun sketch overall. I'm glad that they keep adding to this narrative and I guess building out this, uh, backstage SNL universe. Yeah, it, yeah, I agree. I just, I, as much as I don't know that I was dying laughing, I loved being in this world and I, I'm glad we got to visit it one more time. So let's get to the musical guest. I have to watch myself. I could go on for a while, but we have the return of Taylor Swift, who, uh, as we did not mention at the top of the show, is does not appear in any cameos. Yeah, surprising. Uh, is just going to do two songs. Um, I, I'm very, I have to wire. So here's the deal, Mike. So uh, in, in my office at work, someone on my team who I love to death is a huge Taylor Swift fan. And so uh, I have to honor her spirit, but I got to say uh, this first song, Ready For, it was for me uh just uh, just the most generic pop dance this could have been anybody this could have been selena gomez this could have been ariana grande this could have been uh katie perry i don't i i thought it was 
absolutely fine at best. Um, she's a good singer. Uh, she's a good performer. But I, I, I just was surprised how generic. Similar to when, ironically, Katy Perry hosted uh, was the musical guest last. I was surprised that for a person of their talent, that this just felt to me so generic. Um, but Taylor didn't have a backpack kid uh, doing some hip dance moves while going down a runway. So I guess Katy had that over her. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm not too much of a big musical expert, uh, but I think her first song ready for it is more of a representation of like the new taylor swift from what i hear her new album is sort of more in this realm and it seems like career wise or uh tone wise she's come a long way from the girl who first hosted snl by playing her guitar very ho-hum talking about like i'm not gonna do this in my monologue uh i think that was definitely exuded more in the second song call it what you want where she sat on a stool and played a guitar and i definitely felt more akin to classic taylor swift i will say also in the first song uh i don't want to you know harp too much on the sound mixing because i know that it's always uh, a very deep spot when it comes to being on that 8h stage it just is not very good in terms of sound but i could swear at some point that i don't know if she was lip syncing or there's a point where you know the main chorus is playing at the end of the song and she's trying to sing over it but you could tell that since her voice is on the main track as well that there might have been some pre-recorded audio coming in there as well and as a result the, the notes she was singing above it were actually kind of subdued so it was a very oddly mixed song but i would say i was more of a fan of the second song than the first personally well yeah i would say the second song which i had heard because in my office where we were listening to all the pre-release songs uh i thought it definitely better more authentic although i'm gonna say this very cynically i felt like the first song was so that she could prove that she's sexy and the second song was to prove that she's still sort of uh you know uh you know legitimate and uh, and not not just sexy so it the the choice of songs and the choice of staging for me together these two songs together i know i will get uh guff for this but it felt very calculated to me like oh this is how i'm going to portray the two sides i want you to have uh, of me in your head at, at all times so again she was fine let's move on to a much more than fine i thought a very fun weekend update i mm-hmm. thought this was uh che and, and joe back and uh, and i thought a lot of fun out of the gate uh we're talking about uh, a lot of the uh you know sexual harassment uh things that have been revealed including taking jokes of uh, you know regarding recent weekend uh, um saturday night live host louis ck uh, i thought this was all really fun yeah i mean i was hesitant going into this episode because of obviously there have been allegations that have come up against a number of men uh i think the two that i was really thinking of were kevin spacey which again i was surprised they didn't talk about last week but obviously louis ck who hosted as recently as what like eight months ago at this point so you you have to wonder how can snl really talk about this while still acknowledging the fact that hey we've had while these allegations were swirling initially we still had this guy on the show almost five times it's a really tough tightrope to walk so i feel like they did the best job they could with mentioning it but not calling it outright you know they he had his picture in that little uh, over the shoulder graphic and you know they made a reference to it as well but it feels like they didn't necessarily want to say the name because then they would inherently call it the connection they had to him as well yeah, I think that you're right. And I think uh, I did uh, other sort of just jokey stuff. I mean, there's some of the stuff was great. But again, it's it's I like when the running joke, the running punchline that you almost never see coming uh, when Colin was talking about the state of Vermont officially recognized Frisbee as a high school varsity sport. 
dad. I just I find that very funny. I thought that they just did a really good job. Uh, yeah, the the, the 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 literal dad jokes. Well, a couple that I want to highlight here. Uh, I liked Che's sort of run about uh, Trump's tweet against Kim Jong Un. Again, sort of taking his own Che like look at it by saying like, okay, I have to admit that was pretty damn funny. And then calling Trump a uh, miss thing. Collins line again going back to the uh, the sexual predatory aspects of the past week while saying, well, it's a good weekend to stay inside considering it's 20 degrees out and literally everyone you heard of is a sex monster. Um, and I liked going back to the Roy Moore stuff. I think it was Colin who said that Roy Moore looks like someone who shows up to Westworld and asks where the middle school is. Uh, <laughs> between that and like uh, Che's uh, talking about the sheeps can't recognize faces. So remember farmers always hit it from the back. I thought that I totally agree. Wow. This this is probably my favorite update of the season. Definitely the highlight of the episode for me. And I think that the past two weeks have really just been completely buoyed by these guys. They're really hitting it out of the park, including these correspondents who, once again, I thought all did a really great job here. Yeah. So first up, we have Claire from HR. I love when Cecily does a new character. I believe this is a new character, although mm-hmm. feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to talk about sexual harassment in the, in the workplace. And, uh, you know, for me, when it started, I was a little bit like, OK, what is the premise here? Is it that she's crazy? Is that she's herself harassed? Is it that she's, uh, you know, I couldn't quite. But fairly quickly, it settled into, OK, she's, uh, you know, s- sort of overwhelmed with the amount that she has to do. And in the insanity of of the questions that have to be asked today. Um, I think that most of the jokes in this for me, you could kind of see coming down Sixth Avenue and turning onto Rockefeller Plaza. And yet that said, the execution of it with Jost as a straight man and her as sort of the just, you know, overwhelmed HR executive, I thought was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I d- definitely was uh, some sympathetic feelings in the Bloom household since my wife is uh, in HR as well. I don't think she has to pull out any dolls anytime soon. Uh, but I, I definitely liked the harried nature of Claire from HR. Yeah, I think the funny, the humor just comes from the fact that she was asking these questions where the obvious should, you know, be there. But at the same time, she's actually bringing up things that people legitimately were saying. You know, I think the one of the biggest ones was, hey, there's a 14 year old girl. What do you do? And one of the options was, or what, when do you start having sex with her? One of the answers was 14, but you're gay now. So hooray, how brave of you. I thought that was just like, again, a nice way to call out what's been going on without necessarily having to make a reference to it. And uh, the physicality of drinking Purell while disgusting was also just a good way to a good representation of the character. I think that really helped this because it just added a dumb level of visual comedy and insanity that you could see sort of based in some kind of uh, logic. I thought that was really fun. Uh, And then I got to say, I had I had the uh of the uh boy locked and loaded uh, for the return of a LeVar Ball, uh, you know, who's a son who Keenan Thompson. We've seen this him do this character once before on weekend update and i was again ready to just sort of be like oh we've seen this we've done this i get this and yet i thought there was a lot of lot of good stuff here i thought it was really fun it was very stupid uh you know and uh, and just and the energy kept going and they kept sort of changing it till we get to this insane these pair of sneakers and the fact that he's saying the word chicken rotisserie wrong just a, there was just enough moving shiny objects to keep me sort of giggling even if i don't know the whole thing actually held together very well yeah this is a stupid character and maybe it's because i don't remember the last time lavar ball 
was on uh, just because I, I don't know sports figures that well. So I'm happy that we sort of got an explanation as to who he was and how his son signed into everything. And apparently his new Facebook show, which, as he says, uh, has one million likes and half a million surprise face emoticons. But <laughs> oh, I think it was so the, great. But even me, who doesn't know sports that well, I think the humor just comes from the very over-the-top braggadocious nature of LeVar Ball, which apparently might be rooted in some reality as well. But uh, I think, you know, when he breaks out the new sneakers and we get a very rare break from Keenan here, as he talked about, there's a chicken rotisserie, uh, to, to be, and he just pulls a chicken leg oh. out from the sneaker. I thought it was all super silly. I think especially compared to Claire, which I think was a little more hard-hitting, a little more substantial, especially the message that she sent to the very end. This was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, but I definitely enjoyed both uh, for what they were worth. I agree. I agree. I thought this was really fun. So uh, so then we come now we get to sort of post update uh, and we get a really odd sketch, which is the the last black unicorn. Tiffany Haddish is going to play a mythical black unicorn who can tell the future and tells the future to Beck, Melissa and 80. 80 is going to get the short end of the stick on this. Um, I don't know that this was uh, the, the most well conceived sketch. I think there was a lot of like getting my head around like. Okay, I understand the joke is that 80s life is going to not turn out nearly as well as Bennett, uh, Beck's and, and Melissa's. But what are we doing here? Uh, but but through it, I will say Tiffany Haddish played this to 11, even when the audience was liking it but not loving it. She did not back down. And I was really impressed with her in this sketch. Yes, the sketch kept getting conceived and giving birth and getting conceived and giving birth, much like 80 is apparently going to be doing over the next several years. Yeah, I, this was surprisingly one note to me. I, I was hoping, because they sometimes do this with like prognosticating a character's future, how they'll touch upon several weird moments in their life. It seemed like they really just focused on, okay, 80's gonna, you know, uh, sleep around in college and she's gonna have a bunch of kids out of wedlock and these kids are gonna grow up to do drugs. I think the one moment I did like was when 80 asked, like, oh, my son's gonna sell do drugs and Tiffany's character replies, oh, well, on the bright side, your daughter's gonna sell drugs. Uh, so I thought right. th that was a fun moment. I don't know if we necessarily needed Leslie's other last black unicorn to come out, though it is noteworthy to say that that was like the first time that Leslie and Tiffany had been in a sketch together, which I was actually a little surprised yeah. by. Uh, but it, it wasn't terrible at least <laughs> compared to what we're about to talk about yeah uh yeah the so we leave this and we come to another live sketch called get woke with tamika uh the original name of the talk show was a uh, boy this for me still sponsored by breitbart who I, I don't I, I i don't understand what the logic of this was i don't quite get what the premise was um i just uh hmm, i don't know for me uh i i don't know what we were doing here and i was uh, excited to move past it I, it never it never saved itself for me i just didn't quite know what we were trying to do here and uh, and i don't think there was strong enough performances to get past that yeah, this might have taken the mantle from that last sketch from the Gal Gadot episode to me as my least favorite sketch of the season so far. I mean, there's so many things to unpack here. First, I was just confused about the Tamika character when we first heard Get Woke with Tamika, and then she just goes through her very vague takes on several subjects. I was thinking, okay, is the game that she's not very woke at all? Then the first guest comes in, and it's almost like I've seen a lot of these comparisons on the internet, but it's very Brian Fellow. 
it's very like I don't understand what's going on, even though I'm supposed to be an expert on this topic. You're making me mad. Go away. Then it gets taken to an even stranger level when you have Bianca Twerks, played by Tiffany, come out, but that has now turned into Bianca Reviews. Sprinkled among this, you also sort of are, are getting what are supposed to be, I guess, big surprises that, oh, this is sponsored by Breitbart and Russia, and this is supposed to be taking on all sides, but absolutely none of it played whatsoever. The only thing that really got a chuckle out of me, and in general the audience, was when she realized, oh... I need to, you know, uh, stall for time here. It's, it's reminiscent of, oh, I can't think of the of the sketch with uh, Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry when they are they're trying to vamp. They can't get off the air. They're a morning news show, and it, it culminates in them, you know, eating the weather guy or eating the guest. Uh, <laughs> somebody can bring remember. it up in the comments uh, from that era. But I thought we were going to go in that direction. It was a little bit of I liked a little bit of a meta moment with her with uh, Tamika saying, "Oh wait, talk shows don't usually last four minutes," and they say, "Okay, run the credits," and we run one thing, but. Ugh, I mean, if that was the brightest spot in this very, very dull uh, overtone of a sketch, then that really is not saying much. Yeah, I was I was looking to get out of this. And so uh, let's move on to our last pre-tape, third pre-tape of the night, The Dolphin Who Learned to Speak, uh, written by A.D. and Kate and Anna Dresden, uh, three female writers directed by Oz Rodriguez. Um, such a dumb premise. And yet just really fun i just thought this i this very inappropriate idea of uh they're trying to teach a dolphin to speak and uh during his mating season uh it's uh they just decide to take care of him with their hand in order to get back to the uh the lessons and then that becomes uh just you know the 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 focus of their relationship um i thought this was just uh really dumb and really fun and i thought that it built really well yeah, I have to give them a hand, hand uh, for the concept of this sketch. I mean, because you're, you're getting into quite bestial territory, but I think it all comes down to performance with these pre-tapes. And AD and Kate were very good personifying these sort of Nova-esque, very serious scientists who were very committed to this idea of doing something sexual to a dolphin to get him to concentrate on his learning. But then you also have on the other side, Tiffany's character literally working across the hall and writing in her field notes like, what? No, 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 no. That's nasty. I thought that was a nice uh, counterpoint. And some fun random moments in here as well. They're a little nonsensical. Like I saw this one shot of, uh, you know, when Kate says, oh, Gerald started to get a little handsy. This shot of, for some reason, <laughs> Kate's taking a call poolside literally in the pool <laughs> yes. and you see gerald like nudging her ear and good work on the uh, seemingly prosthetic dolphin as well i know a lot of yes. people said that they really enjoyed this this was definitely out there for me but they definitely committed to it so i have to commend them for that and they and the you know the hardest thing about any comedy but specifically when you're going something you're really talking about bestiality is walking the line it's in mm -hmm. the writing it's in the performance it's in the directing any one of those pieces even in the props you go too far with one piece and you lose everybody and i thought this was really good that they just literally walked up to the line and then stood on it for almost the entire sketch without ever going over it to the point where they lost us so uh i thought really good job for them on the sketch well let's stay along the chris the the uh the kate mckinnon line here that you were talking about and let's get to whiskers are we this is the first time we've seen it this season i want to say it's might have been almost a year ago that we saw kate do this with Kristen wig but here it is last sketch of the night uh we got a lot of cat puns to sip through rich 
Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, I always I always enjoy the whiskers or we I would say for me, this is probably I thought on a joke level, this was maybe one of the weaker ones, because, again, it's all just about dumb cat puns. And I say that with the love and affection of a 10 to one sketch. Uh, I don't know that this had the strongest cat puns that were really out there, but I thought that the combination of it's been a silly night. Uh, Tiffany Haddish plays this really well. Her energy works very well in this sketch. The fact that the cats wanted no part of this. So they actually had actual cat wrangling to deal with live on stage during it. Uh, it just made it a very a fun way to end the show i thought it was just a really a really good choice uh with a really nice cat williams impression here by chris red to just add that nice little final shot of energy to a pretty fun show i'm surprised it's taken so long initially to do a cat williams joke in there but then i remember like the only people that could do cat williams were drake and maybe Jay Farrow. So maybe that's yeah, I think why Jay Farrow did one too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why they trotted that out here. But I mean, also, who knew that uh, Barbara DeDrew really just going through girlfriends? This is probably what her like sixth or seventh at this point. I do agree that I don't know. I, I don't know if I can line all the whiskers or we up against each other. This is definitely not one of the stronger ones. I kind of wish if we keep doing this, that the other character doing this with Barbara DeDrew is not her lover. I kind of want a different relationship there just because I, I think, you know, it's funny the first few times when you watch them get a little handsy or clawsy, if you will, with each other. But then it starts, starts, starts to lose its steam when you know that's going to happen every single time. Uh, that being said, I like talking about Snowball the Persian. You can tell he's a Persian because he has a short face with a round muscle and also the, because he's a doctor in his country. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, – and my other one that I enjoyed was Toby who shaved everything off for a gay circus party. Uh, those were probably my two <laughs> highlights there. Yeah, and I, you know, you know, I agree with you about the format. But again, as I always say, this to me is Saturday Night Live Mad Libs at its finest. This SNL has decreed this is the format of the sketch. We need to just fill in the blanks with the specific jokes. I would love to be wrong, uh, but uh, I, you know, but I am proven right again and again. So I'm sure when we see Whiskers Are We yet again, it will be the same exact format. All right. Well, let's move into the good nights here, Rich. Anything of note? Yeah, I would say a lot of things that I thought were interesting. Uh, I, uh, one of the things we've talked about, a weird running joke is at any time, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the pre-taped story of, uh, of uh, Kyle and Leslie, anything that happens in those pre-tapes to Colin shows up during the good nights. Uh, so here, Colin's face is all bruised up as he had gotten his, uh, his face beat up by everybody, including Lorne Michaels. That was really fun. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I'm probably just and it's an oversight that uh, she did uh, in thanking. She thanked Taylor Swift and Larry David. No shout out to Jason Sudeikis, uh, which mm-hmm. I thought was a shame, even though he had only a quick line. Uh, and then, you know, afterwards, as she's saying goodnight, she, uh, you know, uh, had very nice with uh, with Taylor Swift and then Leslie Jones. I didn't see many other cast members approach her. I don't know that there's anything to that. But I will say there was a point where she was giving Leslie Jones a hug. And if you, if you saw this on the West Coast, 
Coast, you certainly this was cut off. I don't know if the East Coast saw it, but during the longer ones, uh, she was hugging Leslie Jones and and Tiffany just started crying and she was mm. crying. I think tears of happiness. And it was just it was like, this is why I love this show. This is this moment. You know, she called out. She's the first female black comedian to host the show in 43 years. And uh, to see her crying with Leslie Jones at the end was just such a wonderful moment and a great way to go out. Yeah, and you and you sort of talked about this actually in your musings in the very beginning about how what I think what makes me feel so wistful when I hear Waltz and A is the fact that it's sort of a nice moment for the entire cast as well as the audience of like, well, we made it through this together. I think that the SNL process week by week is so rushed is so frenetic it's much like claire from hr you're feeling like you have cbs receipts stuck to you by the end of it and whether it's good or bad you make it through this really kinetic experience at the end of the episode and so when that music kicks in you know you're almost feeling for tiffany especially because this is something that she's looking to do her entire life uh to finish things off before we move into talking about next week i do want to bring up a couple things uh first i don't know if people noticed there was a in memoriam card that came up for uh george carrado who i believe worked in the sound department on snl yeah, for a number for of many years, years. Yeah, yeah a long time i think his son even works for the sound department so uh sad and nice to see that they acknowledged him yeah absolutely uh i do and uh, in continuance of last week, I want to go back to what I found on the r slash live from New York subreddit. Apparently, uh, a couple of sketches that were cut for time. Both of these, as the user said, uh, were not good enough, so it makes sense why they were cut for time, but I thought it would be interesting to read out what they were and what they were about. Uh, the first one was a game show called Aw Snap. It was an MTV game show where if you said Aw Snap, you were eliminated, and I guess it was just a competition to see who would say it first. Uh, the other one, which I think is more personal, to the issues of the day was called Lily's Day. It was a screening of a short film called Lily's Day with a Q&A with the cast and crew after, but the problem was that only Tiffany's character showed up to the Q&A because the rest of the cast refused to show up after some sexual harassment accusations were flown about against the, both the director and the producer. And apparently uh, that's when they decided to actually drop Louis C.K.'s name on the show. So that could have been one of many reasons why they decided to cut it at the end of the day. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I, uh, and I'm not surprised that those got cut given what we saw, although I probably would rather have seen the game show than, uh, woke, uh, with, uh, Tiffany. I, th- I think we could have, uh, or, uh, Tamika, get woke with Tamika. So very interesting. All right, Rich, let's move into next week, our final episode of November, presumably. Yep. Really, really interesting choice for host here. And his first time out as a host proper. Chance the Rapper with musical guest Eminem. What are you thinking right now? I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think similar to uh, Bruno Mars, I feel like, you know, we've seen Chance the Rapper show up on this and other shows, uh, usually singing, but doing comedy. Uh, so he seems very game. He seems to have good comedy chops. So I, I think that we could be very pleasantly surprised with him. Uh, Eminem has not been on since I God, I think four or five years, maybe longer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him back. But I, I think we could be we could be in a good in good shape here. I think this could be really fun 
Yeah, I'm hopeful that Chance will really surprise just because, I mean, you can never tell with these musical guests as hosts. You know, they can range from your Justin Timberlake and your Bruno Mars to the other side of the spectrum with your Justin Bieber's. But, you know, Chance the Rapper did make not only make a cameo, but actually be a pivotal part of that Jingle Barack sketch that aired at the end of 2016. And it seemed like he was fairly game. He was fairly into it. Uh, Maybe we'll get another version of that Pandora sketch that Bruno Mars and Ariana Grande did where he'll have to impersonate a bunch of rappers. I'm not entirely sure, but I'll be excited to see what he brings to the table. And I'm I'm sure uh, I think a lot of people are predicting that he's going to perform with Eminem at some point as well during his two stints on stage. That'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. And then that will probably wrap us up for November. We'll probably take two weeks off before we get our three uh, holiday theme shows uh, starting in early December. Wow, I cannot believe. I mean, it's only going to be, you know, nine episodes to close out 2017. But it's still crazy that at five episodes, we're almost like a quarter of the way through the season at this point. Yep, and I feel like we're got we've got good uh, we've got good momentum going. Uh, we're on an upswing uh, from some you know maybe a lower episode. So let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and let's get back together next week and let's uh, let's all talk about Chance the Rapper and Eminem and see what everyone thinks. Absolutely. So if you want to follow us as we hopefully chart this upswing through Chance the Rapper and otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes. Just a quick reminder: uh, we are not running in the post show recaps main feed we're doing our own thing so make sure you're subscribed to that and keep this conversation going as well you know uh, talk about your favorites and least favorites from this past week in the comments on postshowrecaps.com let us know your thoughts about the chance the rapper coming up uh you can reach out to us on twitter i'm at a mike bloom type rich is at rich tack we'd love to keep the conversation going as we uh, start to progress through season 43 that's it okay thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week 